Welcome to the AJP podcast, a podcast that discusses current events, relevant topics and emerging issues in pharmacy. I'm your host, Carly McMore, and together with my producer, Jared McMore, and the Australian Journal of Pharmacy, we are bringing you a podcast that draws on the opinions and expertise of pharmacists from all settings and experience levels. From those pharmacists who've already been a voice in the profession, to those who've never had their voice heard before. The 60-day dispensing is still being discussed with regards to 143 medications. It was initially suggested by the PBAC several months ago, and it was removed prior to the 2019-2020 budget. The proposal brings to mind several considerations. The impact to the viability of pharmacy workforce and to patient medication adherence. This has also been on the heels of the data that has shown that 250,000 Australians are hospitalised each year, with another 400,000 Australians presenting to the emergency department as a result of medication errors, inappropriate use, medication misadventure and interactions. This change in dispensing can lead to patients stockpiling medications. When patients have side effects and they want to stop the medication, they may still have a month, a month and a half left, which is a waste of current medications. There are several considerations as well as the fact that pharmacists do play a significant role in patient medication safety. And the more frequently they get to see these patients, the more the discussions on the adherence of their medication, as well as why they're using the medication and reinforcing this. So what are the impacts of changing a one-month supply to two-month supply for 143 medications on patient safety. Lauren Burton and I discussed the impact on patient outcomes that will occur if dispensing fees and contact opportunities between pharmacists and patients are reduced without a reinvestment back into the pharmacist delivered health interventions. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of conversation about this, and I guess fundamentally, pharmacists understand that having that touch point with patients once a month is really important. Um, it's a point where we can check about compliance. We can ensure that patients, if they've got any questions or concerns, can can have a conversation with the pharmacist. And um, if we think about, um, you know, the the funding models for pharmacists as well at the moment being dependent on per prescription, to take that out of the system means that um, when a pa- when we do have the interaction with a patient, that um, more and more is going to be expected of that, of that one moment, and our air interaction is going to get fewer and fewer. Um, So I think that we need to really put up a a really strong fight here for this because um, it's critical to continuation of medication safety and quality use of medicines um, that we continue to have those touch points with our patients Um, and with that that repeat filling of the medication, um, it's it's a really important um, mechanism that we have that um, I think it goes unseen because we don't we don't often discuss what we're doing with our patients. We don't actively demonstrate that. They just see the handing over of the medication, but all the thought that goes into the patient's medication regimen, um, the frequency of dispensing compliance, um, seeing the patient, having the patient in front of you, and if you've got a long-standing customer or patient that, that comes to you all the time and being able to see how are you, you know, our inability to go and do HMRs as frequently as we need to um, and see a patient's environment where, where that you know, where they're, 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 they're living and where they're, they're caring for themselves and how they're managing um, means that being able to see them and, and have that checkpoint and how, how are you going um, 
is really important. Um, it's such a fundamental part of our primary healthcare system and it's something that patients really value, um, especially our, you know, our most vulnerable um, patients that often, you know, we're the, the only person people have spoken to that day. Um, someone who always has a smile on their face and shows care for them and what that means to the well-being of a patient as well. So I think that's really important. Yeah, That's a good question. Yeah, sorry, I, I struggle a little bit on that one. But, yeah, essentially I just – yeah. What have you heard? What do, you, what do people largely say? Um, well, I've done my podcast on, on the election. Yep. I had lots to say about it. But um, yeah. I think what, what are your thoughts? Yeah. My thoughts are – well, when we're trying to combat this, we can't come at it with the government from the point of pharmacist and money. No. So $36, you know, per item per year being lost, we can't come at it from that perspective. So I think that it was productive of how effective it was handled before because it was effectively handled mm. and muted, but it wasn't handled in the best way because obviously it's come back. Mm. So if we're talking about 250,000 hospital admissions, if we're talking due to um, medication errors, if we're talking about 400,000 per year and we're talking about reducing the amount of time that patients spend with a pharmacist, yep. we're actually not in any way, shape or form looking at the bigger picture. Yep. So to me, I'm like... If you're also looking at realistically where patients are spending money and you're talking to your stakeholders, then patients are actually spending a lot more money on their specialist. Yep. They're spending a lot more money on their GPs because yep. if you're looking at um, the Medicare and doctors saying they're not getting paid enough and yep. so then they're paying $35 out of pocket each time. Yep. Um, even if they want to get a repeat prescription, sometimes it's like you are paying $10 like mm. just to get that and you're not even seeing the doctor. Mm. So I don't think there's been enough stakeholder engagement as to where healthcare costs are really getting yep. used. Um, I think that looking at this as a how can I put it it's probably the easiest way for the government to say we're working on reducing healthcare costs for patients yep. because pharmacists don't always argue no like it's a very easy win to say we're yep. making this but it's not looking at the bigger picture absolutely yeah you know <laughs> yeah it's such an it's just a um it's just such a an a, a the justification around it is not robust and you're absolutely right if you're, you're serious about um, finding cost efficiencies in the system, this is not the place. Yep. And to have that equity in consideration and actually be informed and engage and, and consult, absolutely. That's so important. And it's, it's yeah, it's a bit off the cuff, isn't it? Yeah, it's very... It's very reactive. It's very... Um, yeah, I, telling you now, if it was the doctors who were being told you cannot yeah, charge no any way. more than the Medicare rebate... Lord help you, it would have been shut down and yep. the government would have been very apologetic and embarrassed yep. by how they handled the situation. Yep. But it's just really weird that – but great because obviously as soon as we heard about it, like every, there was a response yep. by the Guild yep. and then it was quickly muted and yep. then I guess the election result came out and everyone was like, oh, maybe – for me, I was thinking if that was on the table then, mm. what does it look like now? Mm. And did it actually get like stopped and mm. it hasn't? And yep. now that it's come back, I think the bigger picture is what does the government think about pharmacists? Yeah. That's a bigger question because if that's what they think is the solution uh, to patient costs and to the healthcare burden, then they're greatly mistaken. So that's actually what I took out of it more. What do they think mm. about pharmacists? Because if you're looking at the world, 
the world's opportunity for pharmacists and recognition is going up. Yeah. And where Australia is thinking, let's make patients spend less time. I'm like it's madness. Yeah. yeah. Where exactly is this leading? And it's leading to a greater disparity. Yeah. Um, for our profession in the world, it's quite interesting. We're gonna do a podcast for the RPS in Scotland. Yep. Um, and Jared's like, it's interesting because I've worked in the UK and then I've worked here and it'll be great to share perspectives. And I'm like, everybody talks about the fact that there's challenges between pharmacists and doctors. I'm like, but it's not the same. Yeah. It's not like in the world, it's not even close. Yes, people are going to be territorial. Yes, people are going to be defensive. Yep. Yes, people are going to be talking high about their profession. Yeah. But here, like so suppressed. And also the fact that we're so fragmented as a profession yep. where you know it's so much easier to conquer when you're divided absolutely and i think um that's where psa feels such a sense of responsibility in being the peak body and representing all pharmacists regardless of practice setting with pharmacists 2023 i think it's shown the ability to in one document unite everyone and that we have so many more common denominators than not and I think as we continue to release, you know, reports and discussions and medication safety, it was it was really powerful and people were really unified by that within our profession. And I think for once we're not having a conversation about community or hospital or what, what your intentions are and where you are working. It, it's more about um, about what we're delivering and the outcomes we're looking to achieve how we deliver those outcomes and where we deliver them is always going to be different and that's the magic of pharmacy and we're so versatile but the objective in every occasion is the same and it's about medicines management and medication safety um and i think i think i hope that's changing i hope i'm not naive i I sense change um in people's willingness to come together and chat and i think even just listening to a number of the meetings and conversations have been part of throughout the conference um that um people are really positive and really come together and looking for the, the commonality rather than the difference um and yeah we really need to unify as a profession basically that's yeah the starting point yeah unified one perspective yep. one unified voice harder to conquer if we're not divided and then it makes it easier to stand up against yeah everything else yeah um and one concerted effort on what we do contribute because it's also sometimes it's a little bit sad like i do look at it and i do see lots of things about us talking about all these things that we're contributing and i'm like but it's so sad that people wouldn't realize that yeah <laughs> like no that's how knows. i actually feel by it i feel like all of us are retweeting and sharing all of these really obvious things. We just need recognized. to be part of the conversation and we need to be present. To be present is to be visible and we we really need that. We and we and we have such good people in our profession. It's madness. Like we've got such good people and um and people like people. And that is a really strange thing. But if we just go in and be ourselves and, and you know, in, in some situations it might be that we just need to listen for a while and, and understand and so that we can, when the moment's appropriate, make a contribution and say, hey, look, this is my point of view from a pharmacist's perspective. Um, or it might be that we can go in full, full ball at the start and when we get an opportunity to sit at a table that we're ready to go and, and, and that's our objective. Um, but not to be afraid to be at the table um, and not to not to think that it takes a particular type of person with a particular set of experiences to do that. It can be anyone. I'm really excited because 
you know, watching the development of people, um, of students through NAPSA and then coming through our early career pharmacist working group, the initiative's been going for over 10 years now and we've got over 200 um, early career pharmacists as part of each of the state and territories. And the way that they're considering that forum as a practice setting for how they would communicate at a committee or a setting I think is extremely important and I'm really proud that PSA has that as an initiative because I'm seeing people now going and, and they come and they say, oh, I, I went and sat in this meeting actually I said oh is there a pharmacist and I thought oh I'll go and I, I knew someone and they said yeah sure come along and use that personal connection um and and who they are as, as a person their willingness to be at the table rather than I'm a pharmacist and is this full pharmacy just you know thinking about being there and being present and having a go um is is so important I, I share that view very much <laughs> very so very much you start in those two places because it's definitely not going to be a quick win yeah um but i really don't want to see it go any further backwards yeah no um i'd like to see little strides forward but yeah i worry like if that ever did go into play mm. changing it from one month to two months i shudder to think about what the next step is yeah there doesn't seem to be a threshold for what they will do it's a pretty low ball move and it is disrespectful um and it shows a a naivety about what that will do to our profession um and i would hope to think that you know the government is informed about our role but a role a, a move like that it's justified for us to think well what are they thinking this there's a misalignment here about the issues and your willingness to discuss medication safety as a national priority and the workforce that you're supporting to deliver that reform and, and that those improvements in a meaningful way. Because you can't have both of these discussions. No. I was in the meeting yesterday and I'm like, are we going to get a chance to ask their kind any questions? Because I'm like... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because it's important because you can't, you can't put both of those statements in the same context if you're trying to empower a profession and do that and say about your grandmother and all those stories that's all great but when it comes down to what you're tangibly trying to do you're still talking to people about decreasing their access with pharmacists that's what you're ultimately still doing so you will change the whole scope of the workforce i and it's both internal and external confidence it's both confidence within pharmacists about um how we're valued within the health system and then it's other healthcare professionals if they're seeing the government and the health department making a move against our profession then the confidence their confidence in us has to be affected um and if they don't fully understand what we're doing in a similar way that the health department doesn't um not through ignorance but just through failing to have an opportunity to be exposed to us demonstrating our full contribution we've got a real problem i think that still exists I think that definitely still exists. But I think it's good that we've first reflected internally about how we need to be united yeah. and we're fixing and not fixing but working on that um, and, and evolving in that space, maturing in that space and really understanding how detrimental not being unified is um, and putting our pride aside and coming together to actually, you know, the SHPA, PSA, um, MOU is a, a really, really awesome step forward. Um and that's going to mean some really meaningful action from the two organisations uh, together um, being a voice. So, um, yeah, we, we now that we're getting, I think, closer and closer to being more unified, we need to then start stepping outside our profession and start tackling those challenges. Um, 
people I worry that people work independently so much yeah. that they forget that there are people that have similar opinions yeah. or that they're part of something bigger. Yeah. And so I guess that's kind of where the podcast is coming from. I'm like, you're not alone. Yeah. Even if you're not agreeing with us, you have an opinion and there are other people that are the same, but it's just bringing people together. Yeah. Like that's just the ultimate goal. I think the difference of opinion is exciting because, you know, we don't have to one, one size fits all solution. Like there are different things, different ways we can tackle things, but sharing and understanding that the topics are, are what we should be discussing. The issues are what we should be discussing is really exciting. Um, I think that's converging as well. I think we're all starting to agree on what's important and reconcile that a bit. Um, you know, I think we've heard comments before about PSA trying to be too much for everyone. Um, but I think we've shown that we're, we're seriously committed to pharmacy as the, full in, as the full profession and through the documents and the reports and the advocacy work and the policy work we've been able to do, we've been able to demonstrate that we can definitely execute that mission um and that we are we are all are agreeing on what's important um you know prescribing is important aged care is important aboriginal torres strait islander health is important rural and regional areas is important and we've discussed them before because we know that they're topics that you should discuss in healthcare. but we're actually discussing with a lot more meaning now and with a lot more focus and with an objective in mind about where we need to take things and i think um you know, sometimes being part of a debate is a person's way of trying to be heard. So we're creating more and more forums for people to be heard. So you don't need to be so willing to come in, you know, all fired up and to be to be listened to. Um, but you, that you know, there are so many mechanisms now to get get information through things like the podcasts um, and social media and blogs and all of that. Um, and that the conversation's being had and, and through someone else articulating your point of view, you feel like you are being heard. It doesn't necessarily need to be you as well, but yeah. to actually hear your point of view, it's like, yeah, people are listening. Okay, this is in alignment with what I'm thinking and feeling and it's happening. And to hear disagreement doesn't trouble me because um, that's fine and we, we all need to balance that and that's reality. Um, but agreeing on the topics that are important, we, we, regardless of which side of the fence you sit on on the topic, I think is so critical. Yeah. I agree with you. Yeah. So here's hoping all of these bits or all of these changes at the start give us a chance. But because this has already come up again, it sounds like they're looking for a swift resolution mm. and it sounds like they keep going back to the same thing. Yeah. Um, and I worry that we won't get a chance to prove ourselves or get any of these actions in place so that we are more solidified. Yeah before these changes happened and um, the government's already saying what they think of us. Yeah, but, uh, you know, I think um, we've shown before that we're we're willing to fight the fight um, and I think we're doing it more and more in meaningful ways and that PSA has is absolutely committed to, to that and we've got an amazing team um, working for our organisation who have some very incredible skills in this space, um, are willing to get their hands dirty, are very informed and have a... a good degree of experience in working these spaces so we understand the problem and we understand how we need to go about it we need to go about it in very meaningful ways um, not tokenistic ways and, and self-serving ways that comforts the profession but in, in ways that elicits change and allows us to have a conversation with government and say what's going on um, as a re- as a respected stakeholder um, this is what I have to say and you need to seriously consider the consequences of what you're doing um, because it, I, if if you did understand the consequences of what you're doing, then that's alarming. But if you don't, 
please let me help you understand um, so that you can be informed if you're going to go ahead with this. Um, and I'm really proud that that's what PSA is doing. Um, and I'm very fortunate to be exposed to the level of work that we're able to contribute and hopefully by making these meaningful changes um, and having that influence and demonstrating we are at the table and how we're going about our business will um, will sort of energise and motivate um, more and more of our profession to get behind the cause. Yeah. It's exciting. Deanna Mills discusses the accessibility of pharmacists and how changes based on cost-saving measures will lead to lost opportunities to address medication misadventure. I think that when they're making decisions like that, there's other things they need to consider. I think they underestimate um, how much of an impact seeing a pharmacist every month can have and whether that be a small interaction that they're getting their prescription and you see that everything's fine with them and you move on or it be that you see in the last month they look like they've lost a bit of weight or they look a bit stressed and you can check in with them so I think there's a whole heap of other things that moving from one month dispensing to two month dispensing could see missed in the patient care cycle because they're not having that regular interaction um one of the things that's quoted repeatedly is that pharmacies and pharmacists are the most accessible healthcare professional and part of that is because of dispensing. But there's a lot of medication misadventure that can happen in a month um, and two months may potentially increase the risk of that. So I think monthly dispensing is good. I can see why they're trying to save money. I think they probably need to look at other avenues. I don't necessarily see that it's going to be the quick fix that they want because I think it might create a whole heap of other problems um, with medication misadventure that's going to end up in the hospital system and cost us a whole lot more. I just think of some of the... I haven't... not a HMR pharmacist, but I've been on HMRs with pharmacists before and they show you their cupboard and they've got medications that are four years old because people just kept dispensing things when they met met the safety net and stuff like that so (laughs) the idea of giving them two and then being like might see you in two months might not anything could happen that time like imagine if that's a new medication we have patients I've had patients that um have come from the private hospital and they've had a surgery or something they've had some sort of complication and they do PBS dispensing and they've been given one or two boxes, whatever the PBS quantity is, of all their new medications, all their old medications, um, come across to us because they had a fall or something post-surgery and we de-prescribe everything or change it. And there's valid therapeutic reasons for that. But I then have a bag this big of stuff that they've paid for, that the government's paid for, we can't use it. You just chuck it out. And I'm like, cool, that's like, you know, a grand down the drain. <laughs> that's 100% correct. And if that, that would be double for those patients. Like, just in that one instance, I just, yeah. Very short-sighted, quick grab at money, that was. Especially at the moment, like, we're calling for more funding from different streams so we can better practice. And then they're like, oh, we'll take away the only one that you have. Yeah. Mm. It's like without, like, if you start cutting back at that, there just will be no profession left. <laughs> that is correct. So it's very, uh, it looked like a quick hash grab, and unfortunately I find that they don't, they never look long-term. 
people have tried it in other countries. Like, well, that, that's what that gets me. I'm like, look at this country. Look at their healthcare system. Like, you keep saying it's the best in the world, but then whenever co- someone comes across and is like, oh, let's copy them, they're like, no, 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 that won't work here. And you're like, why? <laughs> it worked there. And I don't even, I know a lot of people that they're like, oh, I'm not in community, I don't care, or I'm not an owner, whatever, bury my head in the sand. I'm like, that's, that's not really how those things work. Uh-uh. <laughs> it's it's going to get you somewhere along the way. Uh, like I said, I haven't worked as a pharmacist in community. I worked as a student, so I've like, observed things. But the time it took me to do a history and a medication review, come up with my recommendations, and then I document them and speak to the doctors and the patient and follow up with whoever else. But just the time it took me to do a history a lot of the time was sometimes it's at least 20 minutes, half an hour. Sometimes it's an hour to get a decent history. And these pharmacists are expected to do a, med, a full med check in like five, ten minutes. I was like, dude, that takes me like an hour and a half. Like, what? It's and dispense at the same time. Mm. <laughs> Obviously, the public's perception is very, very different to what's happening. They know that GPs do a lot to get where they, or whoever else, they know medical staff do a lot to get their training. They know that costs a lot. So they're happy to pay them that because they're like, oh, you know all the things. The government pays you a bit. I pay you a bit. They're all right. But yeah, pharmacy, they're just like, no, you're just ripping us off and making all this money, aren't you? You're like, actually, no. <laughs> Rachel Dinar talks about the ongoing need to reinvest in community pharmacy and how pharmacists deliver best quality services, while Preta Crothers points out that on its own, the idea on its own is without merit, but if it can be used to deliver new funding models of practice, such as a common ailment triage and referral service, then it may be an opportunity. It is all in how it is communicated. Look, I haven't been deeply immersed in this, but I was having a conversation yesterday with a colleague around it. And I guess, you know, the instant response from community pharmacy is, you know, they're going to lose that dispensing fee and, you know, the the economic impact on their business. And I look forward to hearing the details. But to me, it needs to be part of that recognised ongoing need for the shift in the way that we're remunerated um, in that it can't be just about, you know, a fee for this provision. Um, consultation, Consultative-based <coughs> practice where, OK, we don't have... Apart from the income from the dispensing, you know, the other side of the coin is we're not seeing that person as often for those incidental um, communication opportunities. But my response to that is, yes, but do you maximise all of those interaction moments? Are you actually quite strategic, proactive around what you say, or is it just a transaction? So, I mean, to me, there's a lot of different things about it, but I guess the the big fear at the moment is the the economic impact. Um, And I would like to see, as a response to it, like things like better delivery of services like meds check services, having true consultation with patients uh, and, you know, the remuneration that can come in from that. But, yeah, I'm, I haven't really spent a lot of time investigating it, but I am interested to, um, you know, find out a little bit more. Yeah, but I think at one level it, it, the answer is it depends on what replaces it. Mm. You know, it, it is a lot of... It is a loss of income. And, um, and it's a very significant one. 
Um, the, as a proposal, the, the way that the proposal's been put so far, I, I haven't seen the renewed proposal, if you like, but the way that it was initially made, <coughs> it was beneath contempt because it, it was... It was just simply a proposal. It was a vindictive proposal to rip money out of community pharmacy, <clears throat> and it was done, I think, in in response to some sort of perceived slight. Um, <clears throat> and uh, and so, in that sense, it it wasn't a it wasn't a proposal that deserved serious consideration, except for the except for its economic impact, and it it had to be opposed. But um, but. It just depends on what the package is, you know. I mean, you know, to, to be very, you know, blunt, mercenary and numerical about it, <coughs> I mean, if it was to be accompanied by an uncapping of the clinical interventions program and an increase in payment from the national 10, which is not what we get, you know, to 15 bucks a time, and, um, and, um, and it was made easier for us to, uh, to do more meds checks and we got more money from it and there was an introduction of a of a minor ailment scheme that was remunerated through the MBS or something well that's a deal <laughs> um, but 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 as a standalone proposal it's um yeah it, it's 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 not something that um deserves any respect I think we've, we've, we've missed that minor ailment space. I can't believe I didn't think of that earlier when we were talking about remuneration. I mean, that's... And even when we're talking about preventative health and minor ailments and all, all of those really important, what people see as lower clinical um, interventions or consultations. Yeah, it, yeah except, except if, if you stop calling that... If we stopped calling it minor ailments, and I realise I just did call it a minor ailments scheme, and we started as a matter of course calling it a minor ailments triage and referral scheme, then it would no longer be of minor clinical significance. Um, and, 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 and not only that, but it would allow people like the GPs to better understand the intent uh, of it, you know, we, a lot of the time we're our, we're our own worst enemies. You know, we speak in language that we know the meaning of, but other people don't know the meaning of, and and and, and that's a in my book that's a huge sin. You know that 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 is a that is a deeply bad thing to do. You know, even though it's an error of omission, I suppose it's 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 unforgivable. You know, because if you think about communication. The only way in which any communication process can work is if the responsibility for understanding is on the sender. If the responsibility for understanding was to be on the receiver, you know, if it was the receiver's responsibility to understand what was said, then we'd have total chaos because every receiver of the message would interpret it however they felt like and, and, and you end up with chaos. The only way that communication can work is for the sender to determine the meaning and for the sender then to take responsibility that, that the meaning's been taken, you know, the meaning's been heard and understood, you know, and that's why we have reflective listening, you know, techniques and, and, and you know, all of these other things that we, that we use in our practice. So, you know, so when we're doing PR, 
you know, um, for the profession, they have exactly the same responsibility. We have to communicate things in ways that are unambiguous to the to the sender, but not only unambiguous, but correctly reflect our meaning. You know, so so it has consequences for the way that PSA writes press releases, and you know, for the way the guild conducts itself um, <coughs> in, in in public. Um, these are not inco inconsequential things. Oh look, I, I totally agree. Minor ailments, it, it makes it. You know, it sounds like it's not important, but you know, you can think of several cases. You know, vaginal thrush. If we don't treat that properly and identify that, you know, poorly controlled person with diabetes and blah blah blah, I won't get into that. But you know, the the model that was used in um, that I was fortunate enough to be involved in um, went west PHN. Um, and PSA Collaborate was part of that with um, UTS. And it's a great PHN. They're really receptive to pharmacists' skills and how they can really utilise mm. them. And basically they have their... Um, I'm just trying to remember the, um, their um, information and referral triage system, which I should remember uh, something connect... Um, for the PHN. So they developed a, um, a, a section for minor ailments, which is what it's called, um, for the pharmacist within um, that platform. And so there was collaboration with the GP from the PHN and um, the, myself and the rest of the team at UTS around what are the red flags for referral? Okay, so the need, there was a need to agree so that the GPs felt comfortable that the pharmacist had the same mm. idea about when referral... And it was amazing. There was only... Um, and I wasn't intimately involved in that. There was only one or two points where there was just a slight tweak and everyone was... The, the GPs were actually really amazed that, oh, OK, um, and it's like when statements from various medical bodies come out, you know, like dealing with minor ailments is outside the scope of pharmacist practice. I, my response, mm. and I sort of held off a little bit on Twitter. Mm. Have you looked at an undergraduate um, degree lately? And then even you know, back when I first started, and we would agree in pharmacy when we <coughs> didn't really know too much clinically about how drugs worked. But mm. dealing with people's minor ailments was just such an important part of yeah. um, helping them, you know, navigate. And I mean, it's a, it is a, a really key role, and I think remuneration in that space yeah. is just you know. And it's just ever-present, ever isn't it? Mm. I mean, when you work as a pharmacist, it, it just doesn't go away. And, and, and people say, well, you're trying to practice medicine. Well, no, I'm not. You know, patients are actually trying to solve problems and they're coming to pharmacies because we're a lot easier place to go to than, than, than you. And, 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 and guess what? We benefit from referring people to you. Yeah. Um, well, the pharmacist says that point of triage. Mm. I mean, that's what we do, isn't it? Every time it's like, can we help this person? Do mm. we need to refer them? And mm. what are the best options and solutions for them? And, you know, when we're looking at the economic dollar with our health system, you know, like, we manage minor ailments correctly. You don't need to go with your tinea to the doctor. Mm. You know, it, it's not necessarily. We are able and capable and skilled enough mm. to 
work out whether that can be traded and whether it can be um, kept away from the, you know, the higher level medical system. Uh, and I guess that's the same philosophy in a lot of the after hours, you know, services and keeping people away from emergency and, mm. you know, pharmacy's role in that. And that was interesting work to do in the Ill Illawarra Shellhoven area with um, their PHN too many barriers and too short a project. But, um, you know, it's... I think that that's a, a really important role for pharmacy to be considered for, and obviously there are various models um, internationally as well. Yeah. We're sort of doing it in an, in an informal way. I mean, sometimes all you need to really do with these programs is just formalise them, mm. um, put you know put a basic sort of uh, framework around them, a procedural framework, and perhaps some knowledge, you know, perhaps some training um, to 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 basically sign off, you know, on, on the fact that there's adequate skill there. And then the whole thing becomes, a, you know, non-controversial because um, because it's bought inside the system. You know, it's bought... It's, it's, doctors, a lot of... My feeling is... I won't attempt to speak for doctors, but my feeling a lot of the time from having known a lot of doctors and having had a lot of, you know, dinner table conversations with doctors about this is that a lot of the time doctors just feel feel the need to have some control over the process you know to, to just the control that comes with understanding you know not necessarily to be able to dictate terms but just to understand what's going on and feel as though that they're that you know they're not being um, controlled by something by something external I think um, that in the um, went west um, trial, that was the thing, everyone came together, there were GPs there, there were the pharmacists, and, you know, mm. there was an education around it, mm. and then there was a collective knowledge of the knowledge and skills of the people who mm. would be part of this program and if you are going to be remunerated for these sorts of things, then, you know, there, there should be a yeah. standard, a recognised standard so that all the team players know that yeah. we're singing to the same tune. Ross yeah. Yuki. Yeah talks about Canada's supply model of three-month prescriptions and how new funding services need strong uptake or they will be defunded as well. It sounds a lot like the situation where they removed, they made generic rebates illegal and that caused the bottom to drop out. And they said, well, uh, it's not negotiable. You are going to lose that. And so, um, so it was gone and there was a promise that it would be replaced by clinical services. And some new clinical services that were remunerated uh, did appear, and pharmacists don't do them. So that's our history. The standard in Canada is three-month supply. I guess, the, you know, the, I guess the question I would ask is, what's the evidence that that, that interaction uh, is, uh, does, does uh, affect patient outcomes? Like, I could see, yeah, that interaction would be uh, uh, extremely important, but but my feeling on that is, is not worth anything. Uh, uh, my opinion on that is not worth anything. Uh, what is the evidence that that is uh, actually helping? Uh, you could turn around and say, well, well, what's the evidence that patients having to go back and see their GP that frequently is, is helpful too, um, and there isn't any. But... Here's a, here's a situation where uh, I think you can just accept it, that it's coming, and it 
too bad. Uh, or um, see, this is where research uh, could could help to uh, to define that. So I think probably what I would do in that situation is, you know, it's it's a bit scary, but uh, I think what I would do is be proactive and say, okay, let's take all your hypertensive patients and randomize them to uh, to uh, uh, different refill frequencies and see what happens. And you know, then you would get a result that uh, uh, might be meaningful. You also might find that it, uh, it doesn't change things at all. Um, uh, but I think what you would do is you'd look at the blood pressure control and to see if it got worse. But you, you could also look at what are the, patient, what are the patient's feelings uh, about that. That could go in the wrong direction as well. Mm -hmm. uh, but I mean, that's what the patient think is, is important. Um, and uh, you know, what are some of the other things that uh, unanticipated uh, uh, harms uh, that come out of that? Um, so you know, here's a situation, it's a perfect situation where you could argue and argue, but if you don't have any evidence, uh, I don't think you have a leg to stand on. You know, uh, so this would be be a pretty good trial, actually. Right. Taryn Gill, Lycan's extended dispensing with poor Schedule Three counselling. Each month needs to be seen as a new opportunity to improve patient outcomes. Tinu Abraham points out that treating this as a cost issue, either promoting the concept or criticising it, is a faulty argument. So this is a double dispensing, isn't it, essentially? Yeah, correct. I think it's a terrible idea. And I'm not saying that just as a pharmacy owner. Um, it's Oh, look, it's equivalent to when um, we sell an S3 and your tech or someone goes, you're busy and go, they've had it before and they walk out. Well, if they've had it before, why do they bloody need it again? This is my opportunity to have a conversation. So, um, you know, well, yeah, they've had the rest of it before. Well, why, why is and then again? Well, they've had the diflucan before. Why again and again and again? What's the bigger problem here? So I think it's removing that um, opportunity for that conversation, that moment to making sure things are safe and efficacious ongoing. And it comes back to, well, is every pharmacist out there having that conversation? Um, and then that comes down to the quality thing, doesn't it? Like we're not consistent. And if there are some pharmacists that are just churning out, flipping burgers in scripts, um, then that is probably different to the pharmacist that's coming out and going, oh, so like how's the statin going? You know, what's been, have you even had a blood test recently? Like, is this appropriate anymore? Um, are you remembering to take it? Um, yeah, so the compliance piece, and certainly if you have a look at um, all our asthma COPD inhalers, that whole space, when you look at compliance, is just crazy what's going on in that. And then now we've got polydevisism, you know, you've got some people on Trilogy, you've got something on Spialto, Spiriva, Serotide, da-da-da-da. Um, and I find uh, those particular patients of mine, I need to have a conversation with every month. And they're on it for 10 years and suddenly you're the first person that ever told me to rinse my mouth out. What? How am I the first person? <laughs> but anyway, do you know what I mean? Or, or what, what, what's the spacer? And it's like I'm, I'm thinking of the history. I've seen they've been on it lots of time. So I think it's a terrible idea because each month is a new opportunity for another health conversation. Um, so that is, yeah, that, that's, it's removing that opportunity. Um, and our patients don't know what they don't know. It's like with a meds check, when you sort of start describing, in my head I've flagged a meds check and um, I start describing to the patient what I'd like to do. Oh, I'm across all this and my doctor knows. And I actually say, but you don't know what you don't know. So we might start having a chat and you'll be like, ooh.
oh, I've never heard that before. And then they go, oh, that's true. And then we end up doing it. Whereas when you present it in the first place, they just think, oh, this is terrible. She's checking up on me. The doctor and I already know what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a terrible idea as well. And your, funny enough, your election podcast was the first time I heard about it. And I was reading up on it. And basically, the, the I guess our profession sort of failed us in a way. The main argument against it was about the cost, cost, cost. So it seemed... Like pharmacists was ju- pharmacists were just against it for the cost, but you kept, you said a lot of things which we've been talking about now about um, medicine safety. We're talking about medicine safety being a priority. This is we get an opportunity every month to check up on that. Why would you take that away? Um, if with the re- with the PSA report that came out, if we still have what over was it two fifty thousand um hospital admissions a month due to medication related problems you think reducing the interventions with pharmacists reducing it by half would reduce that amount so um it doesn't make sense from a public health safety point of view it's it's we're going the reverse the wrong way so um i think we have to be more vocal in the profession about why this is not not just about the money the economics of it in the long run, this might actually hurt the economy a bit more when more people are presented to hospital. So why this is necess- why it's necessary that this does not happen um, without making it sound like we just want to become richer? No, I agree. Like yeah. they, they argued about it the wrong way. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, agreed. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the AJP podcast. If you have any comments, questions or suggestions about this episode, please visit the AJP forum at ajp.com.au and join the conversation. If you have any suggestions for future topics or would like to participate in the podcast, please send an email to ajppodcast at appco.com.au or follow us on Twitter at AJP podcast.